Welcome to Liminal Theology, a podcast exploring boundaries, transitions, and being in between. I'm your host, Jonathan Best, and join me as we journey into liminal space. This, this idea of story, I find it very interesting. Would storytelling and the telling of stories itself be a liminal experience? You know, I, I'm, and I'm connecting, there must be, I'm connecting this, I'm thinking this, you know, Jesus told stories. And there's this idea, I think, of, of change and transformation, both within the characters of a story, but also you yourself as you're listening to the story as well. Um, and even, even, multiple, even if you've heard the story multiple times, there's something about stories that you may have heard it a thousand times, but it's that thousand and one time you hear it again, and there's something on it that you pick up that you just didn't, that you've, you've missed somehow, or that speaks to you in a new way. And I, I think that's also kind of a liminal experience as well. It is. It, it's like walking the labyrinth, isn't it? You never walk it the same way. <clears throat> you never tell a story or hear a story the same way. It's constant. It's the same, and yet it's constantly changing. It's constantly uh, revealing in a different way. So I think, I think uh, the most powerful stories that we have are constructed on uh, the model of liminality. Normally, there is a sense of structure or where we are, how life is. It's, that's the structure. And then there, there comes some great threshold that one passes through. It's a calamity. It's a time of, of truth-telling. It's a time in which everything's turned upside down. We identify with that, too, because that's exactly how life is. And so as we wrestle with the character who is passing through the impossible situation and having to make impossible choices and yet striving to, to make some faithful, heroic change in the midst of all, all this fog, we're there, too. Our soul is struggling through, and at the same time that we're reading about this character, we're hearing the story of the character, our soul is making a journey and being changed by it if we're taking it to heart. And when the person is saved in the end, or if the person is transformed in the, in the end, we are too. We're, we're transformed at the same time. So I think the stories are crafted in liminal ways because I think life is liminal. When they're true to life, they reflect that. And when we hear it, when we hear this, it is as though a bell rings, Mm -hmm. and we say, aha, this is true. I know this is true. It goes all the way to my toes, and I can trust it, and we can be transformed by it. It almost sounds like a conversion experience in a way of, you know, I... You know, I think of conversion as often a lifelong experience, but I think there's these heightened moments of where that aha moment where you just come across and and in a split, you know, in a split second, you know, you realize that something's different, that the context of my life is different, or I have a new clarity that I didn't have before. And I once I once was blind, but now I see I, I, I I didn't know. And now I do know. And uh, think of the the instances of that in both uh, the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures. Uh, In the Hebrew scriptures, think about the exile itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Think about Israel being cast into into exile. They have a a preliminal structure, which is the kingdom as they knew it at the time. 
And then with the rise of those Assyrians, life as they knew it crumbled and they were cast into this liminal state where we are by the waters of Babylon there where we could not sing, could not sing the songs. Our harps were hanged on the willows there. And it's because we have been cast into a liminal space where all of everything that was meaningful has been stripped away from us, except perhaps the most rudimentary faith that's going to carry us through. And then what comes later? Well, we have it in Isaiah 40, you know. Mm. There is a great road that comes that's leading back to Jerusalem, and a level path shall be cleared away, and mountains shall become low, and hills made high, and, and we'll find a way back home to the newly built Jerusalems and Jerusalem in which we'll have to reconstruct the walls and the Torah will be found and it will be read again and we'll find ourselves as a people. So this is this redemptive story is, is uh, structured itself in these liminal categories. You can almost overlay that over that whole story of the exile. Pre-exilic is pre-liminal, exilic is liminal, post-exilic is post-liminal. And it tells that story. Now that would be kind of on the meta level, on the broad narrative. But take a story like um, the Gospels, like the Gerizim demoniac. So Jesus and his disciples cross over the Galilee. They come to Gerizim, Gerasa, and um, which is actually farther from the shore than Mark shows us. It's it's inland more, but. You cross into Gentile land, you clearly cross the threshold, you've made a water crossing, and then you cross into Gentile land. It's uh, it's questionable um, how clean this land is you're walking on, and you find a person who is, of all things, chained, in chains. Nothing's accidental about this language. Chained, and he's in a cemetery. He's out in the graves, uh, which is out in the land of the dead. Um, the people in town know that um, no one can help this man unless, unless that person is also someone equally liminal, but liminal for a different reason. Mm-hmm. Jesus fits the bill for this. He's come from a, another place. He's crossed over. He comes with other wisdoms and other powers. He goes into a place where a man was held captive in chains and through his own tortured psyche forever. And there is a release that takes place. There's a liberation that takes place. And this man is put in his right mind. Well, what do the townspeople do once this happens? Well, they want him to leave as soon as possible. They want to cast him out because he is not safe. In the same way that the the Gerizim demoniac is unsafe, Jesus is unsafe too. We have to get rid of him. It isn't good to have him around. Things happen. They're out of our control. It's not, it's, it's, not, it's not the kind of structured life that's safe because the liminal guide or the liminal person is never safe. They're always dangerous, and they're enchanted, and they're charmed, and, um, you know, it's better when they're not around. But you need them to come into the space and do their work, which is instructive if you want to understand why religious leaders sometimes have difficulty in their communities. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the, you, and you mentioned this earlier, and, and you just brought it up again. Is there this idea of can, can a, a group of people, society, in a sense, reject liminality in a sense of, well, you know, wishing for that time before 
we entered in this, this transitional period uh, of trying to recreate or trying to bring back that kind of preliminal state. Um, and whether this yeah. is from, you know, politically, socially, you know, this idea of that things were better before I entered, we entered in this liminal state, let's go right. back there. And then of course that leaves the, yes. the, the liminal guide on the other side saying, no, you, you can't go back to, you can't, it doesn't work that way. You know, it, it you don't, you don't circle back to that. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to, we continue moving forward. Now, obviously that creates tension. Um, do you see that happening as well? Yeah, I think people are always captive to their their um, their vision of what the world is. <clears throat> and if your vision of the world is something that is a retrospect all the time, mm -hmm. you're wanting to go back to the place where you thought it was good. Except that is a, uh, a fiction because you can't recreate that which was. You can only create out of the present into the future. And so people might be in duress. They might be suffering. And they want change, but the change is not toward the future. The change is toward a time in which I felt okay, I thought the world was the way it should be, there are all these assumptions, and so people are oriented towards that. When a, a true healer comes, or a true liminal guide, or a true wisdom teller comes, inevitably that's going to be pushing people toward the future, and that person is very dangerous. And so every social transformer that ever came down the pike is considered a great danger because their vision is pointing a different direction than people are wanting to head, which is the past. Mm -hmm. And I do think people become captive to that. If you, I think people become chained to a present reality because they are unwilling to let go of um, false selves that are, live in the past. I mean, I think that's true for individuals. I think we all have, we're, we're all chained to certain things and we're unwilling to let go. Mm -hmm. And I think whole communities are that way too. Unwilling to allow the, the work of the spirit to take us into the future. As you're, as you're talking, I, I was thinking of this idea those resisting to change, resisting the minality in attempts of trying to keep the status quo or recreate what was from the past, do, do we throw liminality on others sometimes? Where in a sense of, in our own rejection of our, our own rejection of transition, our own rejection of change, that we sometimes inflict a, a social situation on other types of groups. Mm -hmm. um, can this become kind of power structures in a way of, of liminality be something so. we inflict on others that we continually keep certain people and certain groups in this kind of in-between state? Socially speaking, um, that's always the case, I think. Um, if, you, if we think of the categories of liminality as it, in terms of Victor Turner, structure, anti-structure, restructure, or post-liminality. It is the, 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 the pre-liminal stage, the structure stage, is the place where um, people with power uh, want to live. And they want to keep it exactly that way because it benefits them. They yield all the benefits. It is not in the interests of those who have power, who have some hegemony, 
to go through a transformation where they might lose that. Communities that are on the edge who have been sidelined for one reason or another are often much more um, open and available to trans, you know, the winds of transformation because what they have to lose, they have what, what they have to lose is being a part of a, you know, marginalized group. So they're open to that. So anytime that a person on the margins starts talking about the liminal domain and passing through and transformation, this is very disquieting for those who want to keep things in the land of structure. They want to keep things the way they are because it's seen as disruptive, which is, you know, why Jesus was always getting in trouble. He's always, he's always pronouncing a kingdom that's on the way, a reign of God that is not here already, that, that's, not, that's not here yet, but is on the way and will be. And nobody wants to hear that. We have things working fine. We've got this machine well-oiled. Everything is benefiting us just well. Please don't tell us about something that's going to come and disrupt the status quo. So, of course, as the liminal person, Jesus customarily wading in all the time into that space, he is seen as a danger and a threat. And what do you do to a danger and a threat? You sideline them, undermine them, eliminate them. That's what you do. You crucify them. It can't be left to maraud through our structure. And then later, when structure itself, by its own um, lack of forward motion, decays and starts falling apart, uh, then and only then will people who have lived in structure say, we better do something. What should we do? And then they'll look for a savior. And what kind of savior will they seek? will it be one that takes them to the past or the future. If you're, a, if you're part of the dominant power structure, it's always going to be someone that drags you back to the past. Mm-hmm. If you're someone who's looking for transformation, it's always a forward motion, mm-hmm. which is where Jesus was and all the prophets, mm-hmm. all the prophets who were also persecuted, who stood on the outside of structure and critiqued structure and then were hounded and pursued for it. <laughs> I want to switch gears for a moment. I want to ask you about your work with the Liminality Project, the, the work that you're doing with, with the Liminality Project. Perhaps your, your, your vision and perspective of where liminality, the studies of liminality um, are <clears throat> Yeah, um, the Liminality Project, the website and everything that comes with it was a, a direct outgrowth of uh, working on the anthology project. As um, I worked on the anthology project and drew together those many voices, those international voices of people writing about it, it became apparent to me that what we needed was a kind of um, meeting place, electronic meeting place, digital meeting place, where People could come, interact, um, contribute, access, ideas, thinking, people that were dealing with liminality. And so that platform was created so that in conjunction with the anthology and its release, there would be a new format to continue that conversation. And so I, I clearly consider myself as a convener or a curator of an ongoing conversation. Mm. So when people go to that 
platform, they might find resources and descriptions and things like that. But primarily, I want people to continue to um, contribute and receive out of this place um, and foster an ongoing conversation. That's, that's my primary goal. And, and I've, I've been delighted with the kind of reception that I've had to that. Um, there's, as you know, Jonathan, with your work, um, we're kind of few in number. There's, there's not a whole lot of locales um, in cyberspace or anywhere else that's dedicated to that. And so my greatest joy is when I find, let's say, a, a writer or a poet, and I read their work, and I say to myself, wow, <laughs> they are dealing with liminality in the most profound ways. I've, they don't use the word. They, they never spoke the word one time, but they are profoundly wrestling with this. I've never heard it put this way. And I, I correspond with that person. And I say, you don't know me from Adam. However, I just read your book or I just read your poem or your article. And I have to say, you're, you're talking about liminality. And what I want to invite you to do is to take a look at this this domain, this website, just kind of browse it, walk through it, and see if you don't agree with that. And if you do, I'd love to interview you, or I'd love for you to write a blog, or I'd, you know, I'd love to, I'd love, love to run some quotes from your book on here. And I tell you, I have had the greatest response to that. And I, I, I give people another. Um, format and another place where they might think and they actually pick up the concepts of liminality and then they apply it to their work which is very exciting and then I can feed back feed it back to them and then they often share often share it in their you know on their blogs or their websites you know and which is a way that I think we can kind of keep the liminal conversation going on I want to take this outside of the academy. I'd love for it to be more in the academy than it is, but I'd like to take it outside of the academy to the streets where artists are living and writers are writing and musicians are playing and religious communities who are living the faith and house churches. I'd, I'd love to see people interacting on those kind of levels because I just think it's so helpful to people. There's so much there that I'm, I'm thinking, yes, this has been in my experience, you know, um, <laughs> like you, when you, you know, early, uh, at the start of the conversation, you talked about finding liminality in a footnote, you know, and, um, that is exactly the same experience that, that I had, you know, I, I think I was reading a book on ritual. Um, I don't remember the title of the book, but some, somewhere along the way, there was a, a reference to Victor Turner and then, you know, that kind of, snowballing, looking it up and, you know, discovering liminality. But like you said, once, once I saw this term and, and started, you know, understanding more what the, what liminality is, I was seeing it everywhere, you know, <laughs> seeing it, seeing it and, 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 and both theology and works of, you know, you know, poetry, storytelling, movies, um, you know, worship uh, worship obviously but even you know outside of worship 
um, interactions with people. Um, and, and even in my own, even in my own writings and works, you know, I, I was starting to see, oh, these are things that I was playing around with, but I just didn't have the term. And, you know, I think there's, there's something really, really wonderful about that kind of liminal hermeneutic that, that it just seems to pop up everywhere and often in areas that are unexpected. Um, I myself, you know, you know, I would like to see liminality more in the academy, as you as you said, but I'm also seeing how how it really connects outside of um, those kind of traditional theological mm -hmm. outlets in, in places like like poetry, um, places like you know like storytelling, um, art, um, mm -hmm. and and I think it's just it's just absolutely fascinating how a lot of the stuff is starting kind of to coalesce and manifest in, in, in different, in different areas. Um, mm -hmm. Like I, you mentioned art. Um, <clears throat> not too long ago, I discovered some artists in St. Louis who uh, had a major expo and it was liminal, at least was in the title of what they were doing. <clears throat> so I contacted them and they said, Oh yes, you know, we're very influenced by that. So they work a lot with, uh, shadows and light and the hidden and the revealed and intersections and edges and all those things that artistically would communicate that. And so I took a, I took a little trip to St. Louis and I met with them. I went to the gallery and I took pictures and we discussed it. And for them, it was interesting because liminality, again, was a hermeneutic for them. It was an interpretive tool that allowed them to name what they were perhaps intuitively doing with art to begin with, and then it kind of emerged and continued. Um, and and uh, I think it is so true of cinema. I mean, uh, one movie after another. I'd love to have some kind of, you know, there's so many film festivals everywhere, but a film festival that, that the guiding theme was liminality. Well, that would be about like every film in the universe that was ever made, but um, you could you could kind of, uh, bring it down. Think of all the films of Tom Hanks. <clears throat> Tom Hanks always has a liminal theme. If it's the Green Mile, mm. if it's Castaway, Forrest Gump, for goodness sake. I mean, he was a liminal person. Um, all of these are the Terminal. I don't know if you've seen the Terminal. I mean, every that's a classic one. Someone's stuck in a terminal. I mean, that is a liminal domain. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, airports. <laughs> And of course, books. I'm uh, right now. I'm reading *Nomadland*, which is a stupendous story about the way in which uh, many Americans are checking out of what has been the conventional vision that you need um, a house or a uh, an apartment to live with, and they're becoming mobile, mm -hmm. and they are moving as nomads around, and they are finding their work different places, and they are they are um, living in their vehicles, whether it be an RV or whatever that happens to be. And um, I interpret that, you know, of course, in a very liminal way. They are sojourners. They are strangers on the earth. They are wanderers, which is a whole other category of permanent liminality. We were talking about permanent liminality. <clears throat> Those who are itinerants and wanderers are experiencing a kind of liminal, uh, a permanent liminality outside of structure. If the structure of the society has been, you need X, Y, and Z to be happy, 
to live your life. Anything that's not that is part of the alternative. And if you live there semi-permanently or indefinitely, you are a sojourner within that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting that, you know, the, the, the Bible has such a concern for the sojourner and the traveler and the wanderer because of its own experience. But it also understands that, um, you find this in Psalms, that the person who doesn't have a homeland, the person who doesn't have their, their, their family grouping, their tribe, is also cursed. It's a person who's not attached, a person who's not connected. And so there, at the same time, there's a great protection for the stranger and the sojourner among us. There's a huge caution that they're with us because they're dangerous. They're not grounded or connected to their own tribe or whatever, so they, they represent a threat to us. Books like, books like Nomadland um, just bring an American portrait of how an economy that has benefited some has been often detrimental to others and cast them into a kind of personal, a permanent liminality. And now, unless you're a part of that, and there is a community of those, of those sojourners, um, they're seen as dangerous because they're not living conventionally like us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is liminality, I know, I know liminality is, is a, a time, is a concept as old as humanity, but also in, in this current conception of liminality, is this an outgrowth of say the of postmodern thought? Um, kind of this reaction against the modern world reaction against the kind of structural kind of structuralism of the 20th century of kind of a top-down approach of systems and progress and this idea that uh, you know uh, of defining where humanity is going to go and how society is supposed to be is liminality in terms of at least the, the modern the modern the contemporary conception of it is, it, is, is that an outgrowth to say a kind of a postmodern or reaction against that if modernity is driven by structure, rationality, meta, meta stories that everything is prescribed should be a certain kind of way, that there are absolute truths that, that everyone should participate in and believe. If modernity is, is cast in that kind of uh, container, the recognition that things are liminal is a counter-narrative to that. It recognizes that things might be structural and rational and there might be meta-truths and all that for a good while until they fall apart, (laughs) until they don't work, until they're disproved, until there are narratives that have equal validity, until, until, until. So liminality is a, it's a tacit recognition that no structure stays where it is forever. So that, I think that is a critique of modernity. And I think you could say that a liminal model like this is perhaps implicitly postmodern because it recognizes that thing. who were some of the thinkers or writers that really for you, you know, really 
highlight liminality? Who are the, who are the people that, you know, kind of help lead you to your kind of conception of liminality and, 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 um, and perhaps the people that you're, you're encountering now that are kind of continually, you know, molding and shaping your conception of liminality. Who are the key thinkers for you? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I think of, in, in terms of historical theology, I think there are a lot of the major theologians that if you look at this through the liminal lens, they were also talking about um, these kinds of things and also contemporary interpreters of them. So I think Walter Brueggemann is a person who, <laughs> I think he depends heavily on this. Though he doesn't use that the words, but he's always talking about structure and the disillusion of structure and the recreation of God on the other side of it. You know, what is it that creates exile and then restoration on the other side of exile? So there's always a critique of, of structure and hegemony and that kind of thing. But I think there are, there are persons like Paul Tillich that also get there that have been really important for me. So in his, his under, you know, his understanding of being itself as something that is deep, but there, and yet there's always a shaking of the foundations and some things are falling apart and other things are being born. And then, then you layer on top of that process thought. Um, I think, I think that maybe is the theological corner that might be the most in harmony with the liminal model because of its, its presuppositions about the process of the world unfolding and the participatory nature of the creation and the ways that there are continuities and then discontinuities that interrupt them and then new continuities. And out of the continuities and discontinuities comes yet more creation, mm -hmm. you know, all those kind of things. So I think that you can look at, you know, a number of theologians along those lines and say, oh, I, I kind of see the pattern there. But for me today, um, I think that one of the um, sources that's going to help us the most is really out of the mystical tradition, because I think they have a, a real handle on the difference between structure and anti-structure and where the spirits at work. So if you want to look at the desert fathers and mothers, um, those who swam away from estab the established Constantinian world, like some people have said, like rats swimming away from a sinking ship, they, it was leaving the, the structured world that was being established for all people and realizing that it was not going to be uh, taking them to the heart of God or the God, heart of God to, towards them. And so they had to leave that. So many of those mother, uh, desert mothers and fathers, I think, are wonderful sources for that. Um, I also think that if we keep our eyes open, uh, contemporary literature and poetry is a vast source uh, for, for that. And um, I, it doesn't take it doesn't take much to find it, you know, wherever you're wherever you're turning. Yeah. I'm always on the lookout now for that. And I'm also, you know, in the same way that I would tune my um, tune my or not, not tune, I would um, focus my binoculars on the mystics. Um, I think I would focus my binoculars on the poets who are always, always get to the essential aspects of 
nature. And I, I would also focus my binoculars on narrative theology, because that's where the stories are told. And in the same way that I would focus there, I probably would resonate more with narrative preaching than I would structural preaching with three points in a poem. Because I think narrative is the way life is lived. Mm -hmm. I think that biblical stories are based on primarily on narratives and also, you know, moral truths and such. And I think that liminality rides on all those too. So it rides with, it rides with mystery. It rides with non-rational um, methods of disclosure. That's what you find in the liminal space, often non-rational forms of knowledge and wisdom coming out of the, out of the space. And the narratives are the things that propel this whole process um, through externally, through the storytelling, and also within us. So we have, we have all these internal narratives that we have. And so people's healing and whole culture's healing often comes with discovering the story, discovering what it's telling, recrafting a story of hope that's going to take us into the future. Um, and so... Those are, the, those are the places I would turn that I think are consonant with a, a hermeneutic of liminality. There are, many, there are many sources, but those are the ones that I would go for. It really seems like liminality, as, as you're talking about this, I was thinking, you know, liminality is, there's so many bridges that it connects to. You know, in, in, in your course of conversation, we were talking about, you know, Systematic theologian, Paul Tillich, we're talking about, you know, uh, monastic writings, we're talking about spirituality, we're talking about storytelling, we're talking about poetry, we're talking about art. There's just so many ways that I find, and I find this absolutely amazing, perhaps why I love liminality so much, is the way that, one, it, it makes us, it forces us to encounter different modes of thought, different ways of thinking, and the way that this kind of liminal hermeneutic weaves and runs all throughout, you know, um, areas that you perhaps wouldn't necessarily associate. And I think, and I'm wondering if, if liminality is, is this way for theology to kind of bridge or make its way out of, out of just strictly the academy or out of strictly, say, the church and, 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 and as a forward, as a, as a, as a way of entering into the wider, the wider cultural space, a way of entering into dialogue with, say, areas of social ideas, or way of areas of, say, science, history, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. multiple multiple ways that this there's this kind of this liminal hermeneutic that forms a a a, a rite of passage, a threshold toward a wider conversation that I think theology has been missing. Right. And there's something implicit, too, about um, <clears throat> having an affirmation that the most important things in life are found at the threshold. Mm -hmm. That is one of those bridges that can, that, can, that can find a kind of, well, some people have said an ecotome, a kind of space between disciplines, a space between ideologies, a space between the secular and the sacred, to, to live at the threshold is to discover something that was never discovered before if you stayed in your own 
realm. So it is, like you say, it is, it is a way to build bridges. Even with science, um, I've had some interesting experience with some, uh, normally the hard scientists are not much concerned with the social sciences. However, there are those that are. Um, I, I was talking with an anthropologist, a paleontologist re- recently, and I said to him, John, I said, um, he's a professor, he researches and talks about this. I said, John, here's what liminality is. Here's what these thresholds are. Here are these continuities and discontinuities. Where do you find this in your work? And he, uh, he shared with me a whole body of work done by paleontologists who deal with the fossil records, you know, going back millions and millions of years old. And he said, in the fossil record, you'll be going along as you're looking at the stratigraphy of of the fossil record, and you will find these periods of time in which it appears that nothing is happening. Millions and millions of years, it looks like it's just gone fallow. But what, what we find is that on the other side of those periods where it appears that nothing's happening, there's an explosion of life that takes place. The Cumbrian explosion is one of those. And what happened in what was this fallow period was that all of the things that were going to make for the explosion of life were being put into place. It just didn't appear to be so. But in retrospect, if you look after that period, you can see that they were there. And so I think Something as simple as that kind of schema, when shared with a person of science, can find a kind of bridge in which we can say, let's all talk about continuities, discontinuities, pauses, and rebirth. You know, Christians can talk about that. Paleontologists can talk about that. Um, I, I had uh, a student who is a physics major. He's all about quantum mechanics. And his project with liminality was the Heisenberg principle of uncertainty, theory of uncertainty, which of course is that you can't know on the quantum level. You can't know where something is, the location of something, and its velocity at the same time. Because if you pause to find where something is and identify it, you don't know its velocity. If you measure its speed, you don't know where it's at. <laughs> and so he basically said, he used the, the, the whole Heisenberg principle to, to describe liminality. And he said, this is the bridge to liminality, he said, for, for quantum physicists, at least one bridge. He said, this is the description of what takes place, which is there is a huge interval of mystery in quantum physics that is not like Newtonian physics, that is uncertain, it's unpredictable, it's mysterious, and it doesn't play by the rules we thought were operative up on the surface. And at the same time, that helps us in his paper, in his work, he reflected backwards from that, and he says, that may be a way to understand liminality. He said, when you're in liminality, He said, you don't know how fast you're going or your trajectory or where you're headed and know where you're at at the same time. You may know where you're at at the moment, but not know where you're going and how fast 
or you may know your trajectory but not know where you yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was the most apt definition of what someone experiences in the liminal domain. If you've been in that soup, and who hasn't been in that soup in some way or the other, that's pretty, that's pretty apt. Well, hopefully we're not like, what's the example, um, Schrodinger's cat, that, you know, is his cat alive or dead? You know, that, <laughs> hopefully that's not the liminal state we find ourselves in. Uh, right, but, right, we hope not. <laughs> but, yeah, I, that, so I, I want to make sure we're approaching the end of our conversation. Um, and one, I want to give you a, a little bit of time, um, talk about the new book coming out in 2020. and. Um, and how people can connect with you, learn more about what you're doing with the Liminality Project, um, and where do you see where do you see Liminality heading in, in in the next decade? Right. Well, I hope it's heading in some of the places we've just talked about, which is more engagement, more connection, more interdisciplinary work, more bridging outside of say academy and traditional structures. Though I hope it's there. Um, if somebody wants to engage and be on a listserv, they can certain and just see what news coming down the pike. They can go to the website, which is theliminalityproject.org, and uh, they can uh, you know browse around there. The new book that will be out in 2020. I don't know when in 2020, but should be, is uh, by four authors, two British, two American. I'm one of those, and it is a practical. Uh, theology of liminality. It is a way to uh, take the concepts and the insights of liminality and bring them to bear in our pastoral work, to apply them to the way that we teach and learn, to the way that we provide spiritual direction, the way that we uh, guide communities, uh, help people through the dark night of the soul, all of those kind of things. And so, um, each of the four authors are writing about three chapters each. My particular chapters were liturgy, um, hermeneutics, so what moving towards a liminality, a hermeneutic of liminality, and also uh, dealing with trauma, because uh, dealing with trauma and the narratives of trauma um, often finds uh, a real ally with kind of the liminal model as people work through that. Those are my three chapters. There are other chapters on spiritual formation, um, on leadership development, on missiology, which is an interesting, interesting thing when you think about what does it mean to be, what is the presence of God in the world and how does that manifest? Um, so, and building, building, uh, building and fostering communities of faith. So it's kind of all the multidimensional and uh, should be about, 10, I guess, 12 chapters, and we would hope that it would be something that would be a very practical resource for teachers, for pastors, for people involved in continuing education, seminarians, kind of that. So kind of keep an eye out for that. It should be out there in the year or so. That, that sounds great. I would love to have you back. Uh, once the book is 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 released and and published, to have you back and maybe and maybe one of the one of your co-authors um, to kind of uh, talk about the book, I think that would be a, a fascinating conversation. We would love to. I would love to do that. And um, um, 
I know one American that would, I, I'm not sure exactly how Zoom works, but um, an, another American that could be up here at, on the same time zone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would look forward to that. I'd love to do that. Well, Tim, I want to thank you for an amazing conversation. Uh, so rich and rewarding. Um, you've, you've really inspired my own thought to think about a lot of different, you know, ways of applying the banality. Um, it's, it's been, um, this conversation has been truly a liminal experience in terms of I'm, I'm a, a very different person coming out of this conversation. So I want to thank you oh. for, for taking your time to, to share and to talk about your work. Well, thank you for, thank you for inviting me. I mean, um, what could be better than uh, an afternoon of liminality, really? Absolutely. <laughs> Shared liminality. Well, let's do this again in, in 2020. And um, again, thank you. Thank you very much, Jonathan. My name is Jonathan Best, and this has been Liminal Theology. Learn more at liminaltheology.org.